The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of Jubagali, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. Language can preserve history, customs and traditions, express thoughts and build a future. With over 150 Indigenous language groups being actively maintained in Australia, Australians have a responsibility to protect and preserve the history, culture and traditions associated with these languages. Uncle Gary Williams, Shelley Ware and Curly Saunders sat down at Antidote 2022 to embark on an agenda-setting conversation. Hosted by Daniel Browning in collaboration with the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, this event was recorded live at the Sydney Opera House in September 2022. Hello and welcome to this session of the Antidote Festival 2022. I would like to begin by acknowledging that we're on the land of the Gadigal and I pay my respects to their ancestors, their elders and those yet to be born. I acknowledge all the clans of the Sydney Basin. My name is Daniel Browning, I'm a Bunjalung man, a saltwater guru from the far north coast of New South Wales and I'm the ABC's editor of Indigenous Radio and currently presenter of The Art Show. And today I'll be your host for what promises to be a vital conversation about a vital subject uh, that's language maintenance and revitalization, uh, to put it in a nutshell. And out of the panel, I don't want to call him a language warrior, because he's gentler than that, but he is a true giant of the movement to encourage and foster the revival of our languages through his work with the Murabai Aboriginal Language and Culture Cooperative, which is based in Nambaka Heads on the mid-north coast of New South Wales on his Gumbangia country. Uncle Gary Williams is a Gumbangia and Bunjalung man who grew up in Nambaka, and that's his mother's country. Uh, Uncle realised the importance of maintaining cultural knowledge and spent as much time as he could learning from elders, such as Tiger Buchanan and Uncle Charles Moran. He went to the first Gumbanga classes at Murabai and has worked on Gumbanga language reclamation for over 20 years. He was one of the team of language revivalists whose in-depth research uh, led to the production of the Gumbanga Dictionary Grammar and the Collected Stories as a publication. When Murabai expanded into a regional language centre in 2004, uh, Gary played a central role as a language researcher, supporting the revival of seven languages, including Bunjalung, his father's language, and also my language. Uh, Gary's language and cultural knowledge, along with a deep understanding of linguistics, underpin Murabai's support of New South Wales coastal languages. Can you please welcome Uncle Gary Williams? And right here, sitting next to me, Curly Saunders is one of a new generation of language revivalists. She's a proud Ghanai woman and award-winning writer, artist and consultant, an experienced speaker and facilitator advocating for the environment, gender, racial equality and LGBTIQA rights. Curly was the New South Wales Aboriginal Woman of the Year in 2020. This year, she received an OAM, Order of Australia Medal, for her contribution to the arts and to literature. Her books include The Incredible Freedom Machines, published by Scholastic, along with Kindred, Bindi, and Returning, which I think is forthcoming, uh, all published by Magabala, the Indigenous publishing house based in Broome. 
Her writing features in magazines and journals, including Vogue, Overland, and Kill Your Darlings. Her debut play, Going Home, was supported by Playwriting Australia, and her artwork has been commissioned for public and regional galleries throughout Australia. Curly's solo exhibition, Returning, was supported by the Australia Council. And this year, in this very house, she was a collaborating artist for Vivid Live with Traces, alongside Kamsani Binsala, Google, and Magabala. Can you please welcome Curly Saunders? On the end, proud young Ujara and Wurrungu woman Shelley Ware is a sports broadcaster and educator, originally from Adelaide, but who currently lives in Melbourne. For the past decade or so, Shelley has worked in the media as a radio and television presenter on both local and national AFLM and AFLW football news shows. She's a member of the Outer Sanctum podcast show and broad radio and writes an AFL column for the Koori Mail. Mm -hmm. She is a member of the Carlton SC Rap Committee and a Viz board member. Over her career, Shelley's become one of the most respected and recognised female presenters, presenters, let's just say, <laughs> of AFLM and AFLW football in the country. Welcome, Shelley Wan. Now, language can preserve history, it can preserve customs and traditions, ex express thoughts and build a future. It also expresses the ethical practices of our ancestors, how they organise themselves socially and through language as blackfellas, we can reconstruct a way of being that might not otherwise be available to us if we live off country, for example, or if we come from communities where language has been lost or is in recovery. Under the weight of other languages like English and Mandarin Chinese or Spanish, Indigenous languages are under serious threat. It's always been so. Ranging from endangered to critically endangered, with fewer than a handful of speakers. Some have none. It seems an impossible task, but we can arrest the decline and speak our languages again. What does Australia need to do to preserve, revitalise and promote our Indigenous languages? What are the positive outcomes we can achieve and expect, I guess, from a flourishing of Indigenous language acquisition? What do we want to ask or demand from our politicians, our bureaucrats and each other? And how much do we need to share or can we keep our languages close? This conversation is presented in partnership with the Indigenous Literacy Foundation in what is the first year of the UN-declared International Decade of Indigenous Languages. Now, Uncle Gary, I'll, I'll defer to you because you've been working in this domain for such a long time. Uh, you have such a proud track record. Can I ask you, what does language do for a community uh, like, say, yours in Nambaka? What are the positive outcomes that you've seen from language revival? I would say, first, it has um, a broader bit of self-respect. I'll just say that whether it is out there or not, I, I, they didn't, it's not shown openly, but uh, loss of language is felt by, I would say, every Aboriginal person in this country and they may not know it actually, but they, they're, they're feeling the loss. And any attempt by... Uh, people to bring it back, it gains a bit of respect from them. They, and in, in themselves, I find that, uh, that maybe not everyone will be involved in the language, but uh, they, they know somebody who is. And it's, I think it's one of those things where I, I put one of those words up there, safety, mm. and it makes their world a little bit safer. Mm. 
and I, it's been 20 years in this little place, Nambuck Heads, and, and we're hoping through a, being a regional language centre that uh, we have bought this type of uh, lessening of feeling of loss mm. in the old, what they call Atsic region, which went from the Queensland border down to the Hawkesbury River, covering seven languages. It's a very diverse um, kind of area, just that whole from, say, from the Queensland border to, to, yes. uh, to the Hawkesbury. There's a lot of languages in there, a lot of variation. Uh, but have you seen like young fellas walk taller? They talk about how the young fellas walk taller if they just know a little bit of language. They do and people still talk about hearing language in the street that the old fellas, old people did and, and suddenly it's coming back again, mm-hmm. not afraid to mm-hmm. speak it in the open. And that would have happened kind of quite dramatically in just the last yes. 20 years. That's right. Now, Curly, we've spoken before about a moment I think you had uh, on the Shoalhaven River down south. Uh, it was a moment that crystallised this language journey that you embarked on yeah. some years ago. What happened there on that, on that bend in the river? I um, Thank you. I want to acknowledge that we're here on the Gadigal lands and pay my respects to elders past and present. Um, I was down there this week, actually, at Bundanon, sewing a possum skin cloak with a collective of 10 women and learning from Aunty Loretta Parsley and having language sewn back in again, which was really special. And I wanted to raise it because I wasn't on my emails all week. So when they checked the pronunciation for Nanangula, which is the word on the screen, um, I didn't get back to them. So take out the Y and it's just an N-U-N, Nanangula. Um, and apologies. That's my fault. No, it's mine. No, no, I made it up. I, I was like, trusting oh, the birds to tell you, but uh-huh. sometimes it gets lost in translation. <laughs> and I guess that's what, what happened on that day on the Shoalhaven for me. I was standing on the banks of Bangali and I could hear singing in language. And um, if you stand on Bangali, you quite often hear like ACDC ripping Ooh. up the, the river because <laughs> people are always fishing there. <laughs> and so I, I found myself in that time-space thing where you're like, is this real or am I imagining that there's language and song here? And I ended up calling um, an auntie up, on, up in the Highlands and saying, you know, I heard this language and I think I'm going mad. Like, no, no, you're not going crazy. That's, that's you being told you have to go and learn language. It's time for you to learn. Um, and at the time I was with Jacob Morris and Adrian Webster and Joel Deves who are all champions for Gumia Battlewall language. And they encouraged me in that as well. And I was born on Gunagara country and my great aunt, Annie Velma Mulcahy, her family are Stevensons um, that are tied in through Gunagara land. And so she passed away just last week or the week before. Um, and we've had sorry business around the passing of Annie Val and particularly at the language work that she did because she would teach every week out of this centre. And so, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to learn from Annie Val and to learn from Annie Shaz. Um, halls up in the mountains as well as Trish Levitt and there are not many Gunungara speakers and I feel really lucky that I get to champion a language which is on my grandmother's side, uh, on my grandfather's side, not my grandmother's side because when I identify I say Gunai is where our family are from but I was born on this country, Gunungara country, through the Blue Mountains, through the Barragarang all the way out to Goulburn and um, yeah, learning that language has been a big part of of my journey and something that has catapulted me to be passionate about teaching and sharing languages in lots of ways. Just on that, in, in, on the screen, mm. this really deadly PowerPoint presentation I put together. Um, my idea, so flash. <laughs> <laughs> so not. Um, 
but I asked each of the panel members to, to generously give me a word in, in their languages or a, or a word with which they you know, deeply associate or um, which, which really kind of expresses the totality of what our languages are to us. And Kirli, you chose a word in Gandangara. Mm. Uh, just, just remind us what that word is. Yeah, that word is Nanangula um, and it means to, I've been told two translations, to walk and work together and belonging or this idea of to belong. Um, and it's, I think, my hands-down favourite Gunagara word that I've heard. And uh, Anival allowed a gallery to use that name and the Jubilee Rocks, which was listed as a sacred site. In, there it is. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, up in the Highlands was also given that name. So it's a word that ripples through country and is known and it sounds like country as well. Yeah. Nanangula, it flows. Mm, like I mean, rivers, like mountains. I love the onomatopoeia and the... I'll talk about this endlessly, poetry and metaphor yeah. and the simplicity and economy of our languages. But, yeah, that's just uh, kind of the Nanangula. Mm-hmm. So, Shelley, where does language fit for you? I mean, you're not just a, an amazing sports broadcaster uh, who communicates in another language every single day like I do. Um, you're an educator mm-hmm. and you started off in journalism and teaching at around the same time. Um, you know, we, we strive to be understood in, that, in, in English um, and it can be a real lifetime's work learning a language. But where does it sit for you? So, yeah, communicating is a huge part of in my life. In, in We're doing it now. And doing it now. <laughs> but, yeah, unfortunately, language for me in um, Wirungu, my Aboriginal language, I haven't been able to learn. But as a child, there was always the little words and lots of phrases and so I keep that alive in my son mm-hmm. and so every day we speak Wurungu and, and it feels like it's that respect and that, that you feel the ancestors that with you in, in the moments that you say it and you can feel the joy even in him repeating the words so and the phrases that we have in our own family. But I've tried to learn Wurungu. Just three years ago Wurungu opened up a language centre in Sejuna and I don't live on country, I live in Melbourne now, so a long way from Sejuna and learning it over the internet. Um, they wanted me to do it. It was three days um, three days a week for three hours during the day, which wasn't going to work as a, te- as a teacher. So uh, they were very new and trialling it and it was just moving so fast I couldn't keep up with it. And so they're going to reassess what's going on because they've only been doing that for about the last three months online. So we've got what's sad about it is that it is so new that it, a new opportunity for me, you know, I'm 50 and and I can just start learning because it's available on the internet and but they're going to rearrange and try a few new things and hopefully I can get that connection and go back. And I was talking to Daniel earlier about taking my teaching skills and helping them make up some Mm. language lessons for over the internet to help them because it was such a shock. We went from a few words to phrases that were going to... I was like, this isn't working for this old lady. But, um, yeah, so the phrases that we use in our day are still a a huge part of my life and, and I'm grateful for those. But... There is that sadness and that loss here that Uncle was talking about that I that I desperately feel. Mm. I know that um, you know there's a, there's a Wirungu dictionary that's fairly yes. recently been published. Yeah. Um, and I think the mobile language team at the University of South Australia has a, a Wirungu speakers working there. Yeah. Um, and the mobile language team, uh, led by Karina Lester, extraordinary. Yes. Uh, Anangu translator, uh, Yangunjara woman, daughter of um, 
um, old man Lester, mm. uh, who does incredible stuff. She was talking to me about the complexity in Yangujara, for example, one of your other languages, um, how there's, the, there's these different types of, of speaking, mm-hmm. of speech. So you can have a um, type of, they call it the, it's like the morning news. Yeah. So it's a little bit gossipy. If you're shouting okay. across, you know, the next camp, camp you know, so-and-so happened over here. This, has, this kind of talk has a name. Yep. It's a type of dialogue that you have. It's the morning news. Then there are particular type of languages that you only use in certain, in certain, with certain family, family members from your paternal or maternal side. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the words then described um, ribs and blood, you know, they, they, they came to be about the body's relationship with that side of the family. Yep. Very deep knowledge embedded Very in our language. knowledge, yeah, absolutely. And we also have, um, you know, the physical, we're um, non-verbal, so mm. it's a huge part of um, my people is we can have a conversation about people without speaking. So that that is very much, and like I teach that to my son and we do that a lot, practice, so that he's, that's still part of where he is because in Melbourne nobody's really having those non-verbal conversations. <laughs> but we're having those and we will have whole conversations using um, non-verbal language is a huge part. And for other parts of Australia, the sign language is huge too. Oh, so, huge. You know, so it's, um, there's a, it's quite vast. And, uh, you know, I... I I often talk about this in our family, and I think, you know, tweed mob, we roll our eyes a lot. Uncle, do you remember tweed mob? They, roll, they tend to roll their eyes and communicate, with, communicate a lot with their eyes. Mm. I didn't realise how much I communicated with my eyes until I saw myself on television. <laughs> and I was like, gee, man, I need to calm those eyes down. <laughs> They're telling people a lot of stuff about me. Browse sure. too, yeah. hey. Well, the whole lot, yeah. you know, yeah, the yeah. rolling, the, the whole, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. up here. Um, but there is a very rich sign language culture. Very much. Um, Uncle, tell me about Murbai. First of all, why it's called that. And, you know, I know what it does for me. Um, it has an online Bunjalung dictionary, a beautiful document, many, many pages full of so much knowledge. But what does Murbai do for the community up there, Gumbangi mob? Well, I'll, I'll tell you about the... <coughs> the word first, Morbai is a, is a white fig tree and there is a story about it and uh, about how it was, it was there and people from the uh, inland up on the plateau come down and people from the coast would share, <coughs> eat it and uh, at one stage or other uh, one look around to the other side and said, hey, you know, their fruit is bigger than ours, you know, and the other side said, yeah, but uh, the, the creator gave it this side to us. So they, so they started rowing and everything. So the creator basically heard all this going on and uh, uh, just a just short thing, but uh, um, this said, I'm sick of all this rowing and everything, I'm taking the tree back and uh, took it and, uh, and so... Uh, Basically, the moral of the story is, you know, to be sharing uh, and caring. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and so the the people who um, who thought up the name Murbai were a whole group of pensioners who mm-hmm. we do acknowledge them in the, in our dictionaries. Uh, I always say 
before you get into the dictionary, mm. go to the acknowledgements. Acknowledgement at the front before you get to the foreword. So we named them all. Mm. And uh, this story is that in 1936 in Gumbanga country, they were moved over to Dungari country to a place called Burnt Bridge. Mm. And, uh, of course, they stayed there and uh, married and had children, grandchildren, etc. And uh, in the 80s they found a Catholic brother who was there with the ministry who was a teacher and, and he was getting their story. And one of, them, one of the aunts said to him, when are you going to get us, get us our language back because we want to give it to the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So he had to learn linguistics to do justice to their story. And uh, so that was about 85. And they actually did put their money where their mouth was then by pooling their pension to if anything needed to be done and everything like that. So, and they were the ones who talked about the Murabai tree mm. because uh, it is all, it's also a place where you go to when you die. Mm. And uh, at some of the funeral ceremonies, they, they do have a, uh, a drawing of the Murabai tree as well. So drew them and that's where they then, with the brothers' help at the old church there, they set up classes and everything. So uh, the first CEO of Murabai, uh, they called him Uncle Ken, I just our word for brother is Gugu, mm-hmm. so Gugu Ken, uh, and his family went over and they they l- did the first lessons. So and he taught them how to be teachers actually. So the first lessons came back to Nambuka Head, where I, in '97, where I um, heard about it and started, and it it came back to the the old church which was on the mission, as they say, and, and it had been sold. And people were a bit angry about it being sold off. So it was turned into a just an ordinary house and uh, it was up for sale. Organisation bought it for us. So the, we got the language and the, the old church back on the, mm. on the mission. In one swoop. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, it's like a circle being joined. So, yes. Awesome. And uh, I went there and... It was the days of what they called the CDP. Yeah. You know what it was? Community yeah. Development Employment Program. Exactly. And, uh, and you can do it for a host organisation. So Work for the Dole, essentially. Work for the Dole. And I, I, I managed to get it so I could be at work there and until they got enough money to pay me. <laughs> so, yes. And... Uh, I'm trying to, trying to uh, retire, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Uncle. I don't want you to, to retire. I want you to work until, until but, uh, the grave. So yes, um, part-time CEO, and uh, a lot of our work at the moment is taken up with translations. Mm. Uh, we uh, actually, as Daniel knows, we did the translations for the series uh, Clever Man. Mm-hmm. Mm. ABC TV kind of I don't know, fantasy horror genre. Magic. Mm. Yes. Magic kind of stuff, yeah. Hairy people.
Two. But it's all it's all Gumbangi language. Two seasons of it. Yeah. A few Bunjalung. Yeah. <gasps> There's a lot of intersection too between. There's some shared words. A little bit some of, shared words. Yeah, yeah. Completely different. Completely language. different languages. Yeah. Um, but tell, me, tell me about that. Like, I mean, was that that was intense? That kind of work. Hard work. Hard work. <laughs> they 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 said that we might do a third season. <laughs> <laughs> no. We hope not. Go, go to them Bunjalung mob up the road. Or... Yes. No, it was, uh, it was good. It was, I didn't want to listen, watch it actually to see how the words came out, but they... It's pretty good. They were, mm. they were brilliant, the actors, and uh, I thought we did a good job of it. Mm. But it, it was hard work. Mm. I mean, the, the creator and the, the filmmakers, did they talk to you about why... Gumbangi was the language? They, some of them did a series called The Kings of Wheat Street. Oh, yes, yeah. And that was uh, supposedly in Casino, Bunjalung. Yeah. And uh, it was translation in, in Gumbangi was further on than advanced in uh, Bunjalung. Mm. And, and though they... Because one of them, I forget his name now, uh, had family in in uh, casino, and uh, so they went with Gumbanger, and then we chucked in. Uh, there's a great scene of Jackie Charles saying "Boogle Bear." Boogle Bear, yeah. Which is like everything's good, hey. Everything. Everything. Hey, everything's great. Really one the, good. One of those words that has absolutely. Yes, everybody. Everyone, it can, it, it can mean many, many things. Shelley, palia, the, the young Ajara word, mm. or is also a word spoken in, in uh, Binjara as well. Mm. And I think even Pintipi, Pintipi Lurita maybe, palia is a word that you can, be, you can use in all different contexts. Mm, yeah. Young Ajara, we say palia. So, yeah, so it's good. Like, it, mm. ooh, like it's, it's excellent. Steadily, it's wonderful. It can also mean hello. Hello, yeah, yeah. Balia. They, they have that, I think, up in Uluru when you come off the plane, yeah? Mm-mm. Yeah, welcome. Mm. And I love that. It's one of the very special things, Curly, about our languages. I mean, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything here today. Um, the inherent value of the languages must be obvious. Um, but what I am interested in is you know, exploring those things that, which for, for me um, make it so important. And one of them is the economy in language. Um, I think Uncle Richard Wally from WA once said that you know, English has this extraordinary uh, vocabulary. It's a hodgepodge language which takes many influences, derivations and sources to create what is English today. Um, but in our languages, vocabularies are much smaller, not to say it's... The, la- the languages are spare, but they're just as rich mm. and poetic um, as, as English. What's, do you, are you stunned sometimes by the, the, the economy in our languages? I mean, I'm talking about the word for bark in many of our languages is the word for skin. Mm. Um, yeah. A river might also be the Milky Way. A bend in the river might be the crook of your elbow. Yeah. That metaphor. I know that spider and five are the same word in mm-hmm. Wiradjuri and that word is also used for fish in Barawa country, so mana. Um, I, I love that about language and also that language is so integra- intimately related with the land, which I spoke about before. Last year I travelled through um, the top 
all, all through the Kimberley, I guess, and the Central Desert as well. So I got to cross many different language groups and spend time with TOs in different places. And I was always blown away. At, I'd ask the name for a medicine plant in one place and then 50Ks down the road would ask, oh, this is this here. And they'd be like, no. I'm like, what? They're like, we don't have a name for it here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you have a name for that one here? Because just over, just over here that, that has a different name. And they'd say, oh, well, it could be that that is in relationship you know we don't want to overuse this medicine plant here so there's no name for it Mm. that way when mob travel there's a name for it when we go to that place um, and they'll be able to to use it and share it and I think that relationship between the land and language but also the use of plants and animals and the relationship that we have with um, the kinship of things and the, the way that we eat or consume or use plants and animals is also part of language that's not always explicitly spoken about and I like that yeah um yeah and and also the simplicity of you know sometimes you'd be I'd be asking like there's people in the room here who do the CSU Wiradjuri course and um I know that they've been talking about genders and non-binary people and the ability to name they or them and how that hasn't been created yet but that we might need to reshape the way that gender falls into our languages and that languages are growing and moving things. So even now we're developing new words for plants, animals, people, um, country that we haven't before and that they might draw on the crook of the elbow or the Mm, river mm. um, and the knowledge that we have existing around language. And also the, I don't want to say the, the, the body is the land is a body, mm-hmm. like the body and the land are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. It also leads to this idea of, you know, our survival is, de- we're dependent on the country. Mm-hmm. So why is it so unusual to see the crook of an elbow and the bend of a river as being yeah. exactly the same thing? Yeah, yeah. I love that poetry. Mm-hmm. And I've come to, th- to the view that our languages are oral literatures, not just a book but a library of meaning. Uncle, how is, how is your work? or just your, your knowledge of Gumbangia um, made you think about that library of meaning that exists, you know, even in, in the one word? I, I was mentioning that word for safety. Mm. Dal birwir. Dal birwir. Dal birwir. And it is, uh, it's this sheltered place and you could, you could expand it. But, but the, um, it came about when people were, having their wars and they're, you know, standing there each side throwing spheres and boomerangs at each other. And, of course, some fell short. And if they ran out of things to throw, you need to get some things back. And uh, actually the women who went and got them and even if they were still throwing, it was a place where you never threw into. So it was a sheltered space and so you could expand that to all kinds of things then places you know safety asylum as well as shelter and everything like that so i just like that and and of course this that's why the safety of helping people get uh, feeling better about getting their language back and so mm. you can expand that meaning yeah and can you pronounce it again for me Dalbir will. The short I, the short I. Yes, like short the, I. Yeah, bir like the, the E, I, like the sound heard in wit. Yes. Dalbir will. Yeah. I often overpronounce yeah. things. If you, I think mm. Spanish like doing the 
trill at the end of a word. So the idea was of an enclosed space where no spears would be thrown. Yes. Where, where, where it was agreed that that is territory that you do not exactly. um, fight in, that is an area of safety. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that can be expanded in, in all kinds of different ways. Mm. And I guess we're only limited by our imagination in the ways that we can think of how the future use of our languages might be extended mm. because our ancestors, the languages are, were given to us from ancestors who didn't experience the things that we mm. experience. So is, is Murabai doing work in that, in that sense, perhaps, you know, maybe working out how the language can be kind of, I don't know, fit for purpose for a younger generation? Well, there are um, books we, that we've got out for young people. And, uh, and the young get an awful lot of things done for them nowadays. <laughs> yes. Apps and books and stuff that didn't happen and, when, I was, can, when I was young. They can do and oh, say things that I've was able to do at their age, but uh, they, you know, including welcome to country, they were they're pretty fearless about it, mm. using language and everything like that. It's make you proud to see them. Yeah, but uh, we also uh, did a book of our Dreamtime stories, oh. and uh, yeah. uh, these uh, we we said we'd. We got some money and said we'd have it for them in six months' time. <laughs> Five years later, we finally <laughs> we every every day we say, "Oh, gee, we've got to <laughs> go into this a bit further." Mm-hmm. And so we've got all that and uh, precious. Yes, but uh, there are lots of little stories you could tell young young people who can they get interested. in in a bit more. We've, we've got a school up in Kosovo with young people going to them and I was working with uh, doing a translation and uh, recording it and a, and a young girl, might have been about 10 or something like that, she was doing it, speaking it with me mm-hmm. and I didn't have to sit down and give her a lesson. She could, she'd listen, she, she could pick it up and... Uh, and and we got through it in, you know, about five to ten minutes faster than we would have done mm-hmm. ten years ago. So these are the measurements you can you can bring, how they're picking it up now. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I keep saying, they're not frightened. Now, um, I know the workers uh, with the Ghana language, uh, in you know, the Ghana language of the Adelaide Plains, mm. uh, there's a lot of very kind of resurgent activity in... Uh, in, in the Ghana language some years ago with a young man called Jack Buckskin mm-hmm. and he and um, an elder who's since passed away, um, uncle devised this word for a computer mm-hmm. and they also devised a word for mobile phone. Um, but the word that Uncle Steve came up with was um, for computer was lightning brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to make the language like flex around, you know, what is, you know, a completely different uh, set of relationships. Um, how do you, how do you, where do you sit on that, you know, in terms of if, if we're giving, I'm talking to you, Shelley, if we give young people new words to develop, or are you more of a purist when it comes to how languages 
should be understood. No, I, I think that we evolved as a, as a race and as people and I think that that is exactly what would have happened if, you know, if, absolutely. And as soon as something Buckskin, came along, they would have had a word for it. Absolutely. And Jack Buckskin is just an extraordinary man and he has the utmost respect for tradition and modern and mm. blends them beautifully. So, of course, we need these words. Mm. Yeah. Now, I add to that? Yeah, of course. Um, I, you, know how to, you know how I do this. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, just, just to fill, fill a silence, really. Yeah, Yaraman is this word for horse which you see across so many different language groups and um, I write a lot about – I love horses. I, I write a lot about them. I'm really fascinated by, about the way that they trash the snowies and um, I've been doing the research for this novel with that name, Yaraman, trying to figure out where the word came from and – Everybody is quick to claim it. <laughs> but the first place that we saw horses was when the first feet landed around Sydney. So it's very likely to be a Dharawal word or a Bidjigal word um, or a Dharag word and has since expanded everywhere. And this word has spread. Mm. So it's a word that's only got 250 years behind it. Um, but I think it is the adaption of a new mm. word cool. that, we're, that we see as an example. So lightning brain, mm. Yadaman. Mm. And, you know, can, and can I yeah. just say, when they talked about phone, actually, mm. mobile phones, and and the old fella, who's not with us anymore, but he just up and said, Moyabungi, uh, breath that flies. Mm. Moyabungi, breath that flies. Oh, I, love that. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. And how are you on that? Where are you on that? question of should our language be flexible? No, uh, you, Uncle. Yeah, Uncle. Yeah. I already did. Oh. <laughs> I had my go. New words, we want to new oh, words look, for new things. Um, I think it should be flexible. Uh, people have been doing it for so long and, and it hasn't been uh, written down a lot of, a lot of the case. Mm. And uh, maybe you know, people may call it a type of Creole or, uh, or just... Uh, mispronounced or misunderstood because mm. uh, but people have changed it yes people have changed or communities have changed mm. it and suddenly it's become more wider wider known and accepted and on a lot of the cases when we were doing classes we'd give people a whole lot of uh, names and in english and in language if they on the basis that we say you know, you know more than you realise, mm. uh, and people have said we don't know anything like mm. that. After an hour or so, people have said, "Oh yeah, but you know, I've heard this and that." And suddenly, it all comes out. Mm. And the the other thing that we say too is almost important: is do you know where that word came from? Mm. So, uh, so that's a. Good way of starting off. People suddenly get into it and uh, and start owning things because they've they've heard things, but they didn't know what it was or too frightened. It goes back to the fright again to say it. Mm. Mm. Uh, my word, Gandulgali, 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 Gandul canoe, Gali. Anyway, the, f the term means literally, this is a ship. But it's actually the name of a, I guess it looks like in the Numbar Valley up on the, uh, on the kind of hinterland ranges between my, in my country, northern New South Wales, southeast Queensland, there's a, a ridge, a mountain that looks like a ship. 
So they say this is a ship, gundul, gully. But the word for canoe is the same as the word for ship. We wouldn't have had a different word for ship. A ship and canoe, both made of wood. Gundul has a, has a derivation in wood. Same thing. Um, and I love that flexibility of the languages even at the, time, at, the, at the brute kind of contact point. Language is still being generous and open to this new way of speaking. Um, I just wish it hadn't over completely overwhelmed our languages in the process. Curly, can you, you spend a lot of time in country with elders and uh, you talk about Annie Val, and, uh, who, who, who I'm very sad to hear has passed away. Yeah. Um, and in that apprenticeship, you know, you became this incredible creative force for an initiative called Poetry in First Languages. But tell me about the value of that kind of embedded learning, the sitting down, as Uncle described, mm. and, you know, transmitting this knowledge, you know, face-to-face -face with another speaker. Oh, I think it's paramount. Like, we're really lucky that we can use technology now to learn languages and that we have books, but you can't hear that word roll off an elder's tongue and watch their mouth shape that word if you're not sitting in relationship with them. So... Yeah, poetry in first languages brought together elders with children to sit on country um, and to dance and plant trees and learn about bush medicine um, and write songs while being with, with old people, with elders in community and across 12 different language groups and 60 different workshops and hundreds of kids. And it was a really precious thing that COVID loved to put a stamp on. <laughs> but I mean, programs like that are happening everywhere. And I think what you were saying before, Uncle, about getting the church back, mm. getting land back while also doing this language work, to me, I think that's part of it as well. Because, and the fact that our, our children are the most um, criminalized youth, incarcerated youth in the world. Mm. If we want, and Dr. Lily Brown spoke about this, who's also Gumbangi and also magic. Um, she said, if we want, to hand down our Indigenous wisdom or our knowledge to children, then we need them to sit in relationship with their old people. And I think that extends as well. If we want old people to teach the language of the land, then our children need to be able to sit in relationship with them. We need to carve out projects, time um, and opportunities to do so. But we also need land back if we're going to talk about land and language and the inextricable relationship of all of those things. So, yeah, it was a... It was nice and, and that, I guess, has taken different forms for me now. I'm still doing, like, my books have language in them and I love going and teaching language to students in classrooms and, but I'm happier outside when we're planting trees or, um, yeah, making possum skin cloaks with the elders and mm -hmm. learning new, new words for things while under the reticles at the bitch and stitch and I love that while we're <laughs> stitching <laughs> and she's teaching me language, yeah. Just on that kind of serious note and that is mm. I worry that our languages might be held captive to some kind of other agenda mm. and that is a multiculturalist one. Yeah. Uh, and that is where everything is flattened out. No, no one language is more important or special than another. There's this rich diversity, this rich mm. kind of complex, uh, diverse world where multiple languages are spoken. And ours, ours is just one voice or many voices, mm. which denies, I think, for me anyway, their particular status as the first languages spoken here. Mm. Maybe could you just reflect on that if there's any, do you have any, any worries like I do that, you know, it's not going to be seen for how distinct 
our languages are and it's going to be misunderstood. Yeah, or homogenized. Homogenized. Right? Like there's um, 250 different language groups and 650 dialects and um, as mob and organisations and individuals working with arts orgs, we're all fighting for the same funding to be able to deliver projects like this. So, um, yeah, the real and, and then the reality of the minimal number of speakers in community who can teach or share that language or who have the protocols and... Um, I guess, authority to do so is becoming constantly impacted upon the more that time goes on and our elders are dying. So it's, yeah, we have an in, a decade of Indigenous languages, um, but we also need to be doing this work now. And times are busy and curriculums are busy and um, there's not a lot of time for our kids to come together with old people and community and we're constantly fighting the land back wall. But, um, yeah, I definitely... I feel sad about it, mm. yeah. This is a tension there, I think. Mm. Um, and it means that we're competing with each other for the same thing, mm. right? Like, uh, and there are, there's shared language, like Bujan is a shared word across Wiradjuri, Tharawal, Ganagara, I know some Tharagmog too have used that word. So, and Lunawal, like, it's a word that across communities who would have had Bogon Festival or Corroboree or come together for trade and meet and marriage would have used that word. Mm. And I'm like, well, then do we need to be doing it that way? Do we need to be putting it under a Bujan program, bird program, and then having an opportunity for all of these language groups to be funded equally so that we can allow that time to teach? Um, but we're also competing with technology, mm. right? Like kids have TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to come and sit with their old people until, yeah, mm. until they do? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how... It's just so crucial. Yeah. But if you don't, as a young fella, see that the value yeah. in sitting with them and, you know, there's a, there's a point at which all, we all become teenagers yeah. and we just don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, but I know that when I was, you know, really small, I was basically needled, me and my sisters and my cousins, to go and see our great-great-uncle and our great-great-aunts. We all lived in the same uh, kind of row of houses in, in Fingal in northern New South Wales, so all related, all family, um, that's where I grew up. But if I hadn't been provoked and told to go there and say hello every visit, mm -hmm. there's just things I, would, I, would, I wouldn't even be interested in this part of my identity right now. Yeah. Uncle, when you were growing up, did you, how important was that, was just going, growing up and, and, and learning from, from the elders? Well, uh, there was the person who gave a whole lot of language to us, who's still alive then, and uh, mother made sure me and my brother was, and uh, as he was walking past out there, would, uh, they actually they'd give us an axe and said, chop the wood out of the wood heap there while he was, when he's coming along. and then, Go and spend time. And, and then... Engage him in conversation. Engage in conversation. So, mm. yeah, it uh, took a long while. Maybe uh, because he, he, he just said things and uh, it, once I started learning the language, I thought, oh, this is what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd agree with him back then and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remembered it but uh, mm. it was the finer points of what he said. I was, Suddenly realised, you know, well, I won't tell you how many years later. Uh. But yes. So. Uh, was he allowed to teach you, Unc? Publicly? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. And it wasn't teaching. It was kind of talking to kids kind mm. of thing and, and just giving giving them little bits here and there. And, mm. and uh, But oh. sitting down, then he'd go on his way into town to do his business and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, just just one of those little enjoyment things mm. of his. And uh, um, thankfully my mother made sure mm. that we were there. But... Uh, but yes, and to be able to to be able to then uh, learn even those years later what it was that he really, mm. really meant uh, the backstory and everything like that. So, so mm. I'm very lucky on that as well. A lot of lot of subtext and mm. a lot of um, meaning um, in words. How I mean, I. How diligent do you think we have to be? This is a question for, for all of you. How diligent do we have to be in protecting our languages? This is, obviously, we want to share them. Um, but personally, I really hate it uh, when language names like Bunjalung, Ogumbangi, uh, uh, and other fairly well published words are badly mispronounced on the radio or on TV. I once heard a radio presenter announce, uh, pronounce, Bunjalung as Bujalung. And of course, Buj is to fart. <laughs> Bujing is our word more correctly. And I just, I just fell apart. Oh. I was just like, yes, it was hilarious. But it's just like, well, actually, no, I, if, mm. I would show you the respect to learn your name. Why don't you, I know what English is and how to, how to pronounce that. Why wouldn't you pronounce Bunjalung correctly? Mm. It's phonetic. Mm. How, how important do we have, how diligent do we have to be? Oh, I think we have to be so diligent. There's a, a person who works in the AFL right up the top that just cannot say we're under. Oh. And every single time oh my God. she does an acknowledgement, it irks me to my bones. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're going to take a role of leadership in our community, mm. at least have the respect, you know, to understand and to, to make the correct pronunciations. And I don't know, it just is just... just it shows that there is no respect in that way and because mm. that is a common word Mm-mm. that we hear over and over again and it is still mispronounced and it is just, it irks me. But to answer your question, um, you know, I'm here as, a, <laughs> as an ILF ambassador as well as all of the mm. lovely things that you talked about, what I do. But, you know, I was here on Tuesday and I want to talk about this amazing book and how important it is and how much we have to um, pass it on to our next generation and I got to, um, it's this beautiful new book. It's called Winthali um, and it's about fire. But what's so gorgeous about it is it's a traditional um, bunabab. 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 I always get that. It's new to me, bunabab. <laughs> so, but what it's got is it's got language in the story and then the English. And so Annie June Oscar read the language and then her um family member read the English and then it was her son who stood up and sang in part of it there's a song he sang it in language and then he sang it in English and it was just so stunning but that's going to pass on to the next generation and there are QR codes and for kids to be able to have and all that importance of that language and keeping it in their classrooms and you know more and more we're seeing language teachers in classrooms as well and that is just it's just western australia is doing a brilliant job of that and i hope that that spreads right across australia that we have language teachers that you know local language teachers within the classrooms that are a part of it and we have to as a nation take responsibility for the fact that 
past government policies forbid this from being part of our classroom and that now we've made the new child safety standards where a culturally safe classroom is number one. So if we're going to take this seriously, putting language, local languages in classrooms is important and books and people who speak language and passing that on needs to be our norm, not something where we're coming here saying, this is one we're doing, we want this to be a part of our kids every single day. You know, I get very jealous when I go over to New Zealand and it's a part of their, their classroom and they have the one language and people say, oh, it's because they have the one language. But realistically, that localised area has that one language too or they might have two or three. You know, like I recently had a young boy come down from the Northern Territory and English was his fifth language. Mm. So I had to teach him how to read in English. And so, but people... Other teachers treated him like he, he was stupid, mm. essentially like that he, because he couldn't understand and read English, that there was something wrong with him. Yeah. But, you know, and that is so common over and over. So I taught him how to read in English. But this child knew four other languages, you know, and four different Aboriginal languages. Mm -hmm. And it's extraordinary. And we've got to have that respect for that language as a nation and bring that back and, you know, celebrate yeah. and keep it alive. How can we integrate teaching language in our preschool and school system? No better question for you, Shelley. What do you think we can do Is practically? It, practically, it's the very, very most important thing that you have to do is connect with local people. Yep. Mm. That is your, they are your greatest asset. It could be a family member. It could be someone from a, a language centre, from your local language A land real council. living person, not an app or anything. Yeah, yeah, get them in there and build a relationship. So when the children are seeing them in the street, they... Uh, auntie, uncle, and they're familiar to them and they're a part of their world. And then once you have the, the – well, you make it a list or the, you make it permission, you have a dictionary, they may come in and do verbal and record them for you, make them a part of your everyday. Yeah. You know, put the words up so that the children can see them, say them, you know, like if they want to go to the Jillow or to the toilet in Victoria and, and use it and make it a part of everyday. And you get these fantastic books. I mean, ILF has, you know, last year printed – 11 books in language and more and more are being printed all the time. A hundred odd books have been printed in language. Have them, have actual First Nations libraries within there that are written by First Nations authors that are a part of their every single day. There's so much you can do. There's literally, the internet is full of wonderful ideas that yeah. help you as a teacher, but that connection to local community is, is number one. Yeah, there's enormous freedom with what you can find online, mm -hmm. but... You yep. need a real living person. Yep. Make to them a part of authenticate yep. and provide the kind of ethical yeah. uh, support for what you're doing in the classroom. Yeah. Curly, can non-Indigenous people learn an Aboriginal language? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Aunty Velma Mulcahy had all kinds of community members come and sit with her every week on a Monday or Tuesday and, and learn Gunangara with her. And her rule was that you keep coming back. Um, so I think it's important to check in with yourself and ask why do you want to learn the language? Is it because you want to build positive relationships with the community, honour the land and the country and the people who are the custodians of that space? Well, then that to me is a really good reason. Um, if it's to, yeah, commodify mm. <laughs> culture, then I don't think it's a good reason to be learning language. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I get really excited when I've got allies coming and saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to make sure that I'm not butchering Bunjalung when I say it, mm. you know. So, yeah, and the reason I asked before is were they allowed to teach you, Uncle, is because Anivau grew up on the mission and my mum was removed. And so 
they weren't able to teach language. Mm. And mm. she was always a really, really big advocate for us teaching language. Yeah. Uncle, we've got 30 seconds left. <laughs> what can our government do to preserve and promote Indigenous languages in society? <laughs> Take your 30 time. seconds. <laughs> One word, money. Yeah. Get their act together. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, I did speak with... Uh, Linda Burney at one stage or other, and she's she's been behind language in New South Wales. Linda Burney, the new Indigenous then, Affairs Minister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So long as they do that, languages and everything else. Yeah. Um, and we have got some really strong people behind that in government that have just come in. So sometime yes. for them, it'll be wonderful to see. Awesome. Mm. Look, I hope this conversation's been um, this conversation about this most vital subject has been enriching, and I encourage you to learn a word. Ask a language speaker, though, uh, or a language worker, perhaps, rather than Google or an app, uh, if you can. Language is human, after all. Can you please join me in thanking Uncle Gary Williams, Curly Saunders and Shelley Ware. Watch Talks from Antidote 2022 on stream, the streaming platform from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching at stream.sydneyoperahouse.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.